I just want to say hello and welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of This Week in Sports. On tap today, we've got episode number 126 for you. I believe we're up to 126. Did not have an episode last week and then the one before that. I've done um, a disservice to you guys. The last couple of weeks was only about 15 or 16 minutes. But this episode, I promise, this promises to be a big episode. So we will kind of, I don't want it to be an hour because there's a lot going on in sports right now. There is um, the NBA, bunch of games that I want to get to. I bet on a game. Um, there's a lot going on. So also what I'm going to do is the format for this episode is going to be slightly different. Excuse me, just got to have a sip of my uh, drink here. Stay hydrated. I am not going to, normally I break down each and every um sport into its own category, basically. So I'll start with, say, the NFL. Then I'll run through all the headlines and and recap the week's games and such. Well, what I'm doing this week, um, I'm basically just going to do a rundown of the day-by-day headlines from all the sports. So it's a mishmash. It's it's kind of mixed together, um, all the sports, and it's going to kind of go all over the place. But but bear with me. Um, we'll see how this thing works, and, and I, I don't think it'll be a problem. So what we're going to do is, um, Happy New Year, first of all, to everybody. Didn't get to do that last time. Like I said, we didn't have an episode last week. And we're going to, I'm going to say one thing. I was going to get a sound bite, but I thought it would be um, kind of eh, cheesy thing to do. I was going to play like We Are the Champions or something because, let's face it, with the pick segment, I clearly came in first. The reason I didn't do it last week was for the simple fact that week 17, if you bet on week 17, you're a degenerate. I'm going to throw myself into that category because, excuse me, the one week I decided to bet on the Jets, they burned me against the Patriots. Who was I to think that the Jets would end the season on a three-game winning streak and beat Bill Belichick of all people? And I was burned, so I lost money on Sunday, and I told myself I wasn't going to bet, and the three of us had discussed it, and we decided we're not going to give picks this week because, you know, it, it makes no sense. You had no Big Ben in that uh, Steelers and Browns game. You had the Bills and the Dolphins. How much was Josh Allen going to play? Turned out to be a half. That's all they needed. They smoked them. Uh, so there was just players not playing, teams resting players, left, right, and center. So we didn't want to touch touch the games that week. So um, we'll try to move forward with this maybe into next season. We'll see, depending on people's schedules and if they can get me their picks or not. But as of now... We did maybe, what, four, five, six weeks. Uh, I was I was the champion. I came in first. So um, anyway, with that being said, let's dive right in and let's talk our weekend headlines. And we've got to start off with one Steph Curry or Chef Curry, as many people refer to him as. Steph scored a career high 62 points. He did so in 36 minutes in the Warriors' 137-122 to victory against the Blazers on Sunday. Now, um, it wasn't too long ago that Dame Dalla, or Damian Lillard, put up his career-high 61 against the Warriors. So Steph Curry said, I'll see your 61, and I'll raise you 62. So in a rematch against the Blazers, he goes for 62. 
He had 31 points by the end of the first half, finished 18 of 31 from the field, 18, uh, excuse me, eight of 16 from three and a career high 18 of 19 from the lot free throw line. And I heard, I did read also, um, he didn't just get it done from the three point line. A lot of his points, I think almost half of his points came from inside the arc in the paint, um, mid range, all that good stuff. Uh, he was feeling himself. He is, uh, at 32 years old, the second oldest player in NBA history with a 60 point game behind only Kobe Bryant who, of course, we know um, put up 60 uh, in his final game in the league, I believe, before his retirement when they just kept passing him the ball on every possession. That was pretty cool to watch as well. Um, And then I I believe I saw he he might just be the second player that has scored 30 in both halves as well Um, because a lot of guys, they might score, you know, 40 in one half, 20 in another. No, he put up 30 in both halves. Uh, So, yeah, and... There were questions surrounding Curry's greatness. Those arose earlier in the week when Channing Frye commented on the importance of this season for Steph Curry. And, and, you know, this will really show what kind of player he really is, being that he would be without Klay Thompson, who obviously missed last season with the um, with the with the Achilles and, and um, or excuse me, with the ACL and then with the rupturing of the Achilles. And then, of course, Kevin Durant uh, coming over to my Brooklyn Nets. And he knew in the back of his mind that, um, you know, he, he, he had a, a message for, for all those doubters out there. Take, take a listen to what Steph had to say. The, the, the Jordan meme, right? I take all that personally. (laughs) So, uh, man, a few words, but you get the point. He's talking about the crying Jordan meme. Um, and he, yes, he is taking all of it personally. Okay, next up, we had over the weekend as well, the Jets firing Adam Gase after his dismal two years in uh, New York with gangrene, finishing the season 2-14. and 14. Of course, they started the year 0-13 before um, victories against the Rams, which was as surprising as we've seen all season long, and then, of course, against the shorthanded Browns um, in Week 16. Uh, Gase could have won this past game against the Patriots, and let's be real, he still would have been fired. And we knew this was no surprise. We knew Craig Carton, if you listen to uh, Sports Drive, you know, Sports Talk Radio in the mornings or afternoons here in the New York tri-state area as I'm in New Jersey, you know, Craig Carton said he got an inside report that they had already informed Adam Gase he would be fired and that he's just coaching this final game and that as will be his send-off. Uh, Gase said he was never told that, but of course, you know, what's he going to say? He lied probably. And so we knew this was coming. He went just 9-23 and 23 in two seasons with the Jets. Um, they, they entered Sunday's Week 17 finale. The Jets did ranked last in the NFL in scoring, just 15.3 points per game. Last in total offense, 275.3 yards per game which is sickening when you think that a lot of these quarterbacks throw for over uh, 275 yards a game by themselves. This is not just passing yards. This is total offense. So this is passing yards. This is rushing yards as well. I mean, and the the Jets can't even, you know, get 275 total yards as an overall offense. And of course, last in yards per play at 47 
by wide margins, no less. So yes, we're talking very dismal numbers. And then when you look at Sam Darnold, this now being his third season in in the league, he can never stay healthy, has never had a full season. Um, He's been hurt. And quite frankly, under Gase, he's regressed. Realistically, um, we've seen under Gase in these two years, we have seen a regression in Sam Darnold. Last year, we know everything that happened with the mono. This was supposed to be the season for Sam Darnold to make that ascension and to prove to everybody that, okay, this is why we drafted you number three. What uh, Josh Allen is doing for the Bills, MVP caliber. I think Josh Allen should win the MVP. I do not think he will. I think that will go to Aaron Rodgers personally, but I think Josh Allen should get a lot of votes. And I would crown him the MVP for what he has done to for w- with Buffalo. We already know Aaron Rodgers, he didn't really improve his team. Aaron Rodgers, they were the one seed last year. They're the one seed again this year. Josh Allen took this team from a playoff team that blew a lead against the Texans and lost to an absolute powerhouse, number two in the AFC. Many people think they can compete with the Chiefs. They have that explosive of an offense. Getting Stefan Diggs, what he did this year, leading the league in receptions and receiving yards, just unbelievable. Josh Allen had one of the greatest um, leaps in performance from one season to another as I have ever seen. And that's not, uh, you know, uh, that's not just fodder. That is, that's, that's the truth. Look at the numbers from last year. Look at the numbers from this year. Astronomical difference. And we thought we would see that with Sam Darnold because Ladies and gentlemen, Sam Darnold and Josh Allen, very good friends. They're part of the same draft class, okay? And they, I believe they have houses, and they're both from California. I think they live in like the same street or the same block. They have the same quarterback coach in Jordan Palmer, who every year I have to hear the same thing, praises both these guys, says he watches Sam Darnold, can make all the same throws as Josh Allen, looks just as good as Josh Allen does when they practice in the offseason, and... Time in and time out, I don't see it, and he is regressing. And Josh Allen is not, and it's because Josh Allen has has weapons, um, and Sam Darnold does not. But still, after watching Week 17, I think it's over for Sam Darnold in a Jets uniform. I think we need to just move on. Draft, uh, I guess, Justin Fields. Uh, i rather him over Zach Wilson, to be quite honest with you. But we'll see what Joe Douglas and whoever they end up hiring as a new head coach decide to do, what direction they decide to take. But yes, Adam Gase is out. There's no real need to harp on this. But again, I have the numbers here, so I might as well just say them. It's very embarrassing for Sam Darnold. 2,208 yards, nine touchdowns, 11 interceptions in 12 games. First time in three years in his career that he has thrown more interceptions than touchdowns. A lot of that is on coaching. But some of that is on Sam Darnold, those two interceptions against the Patriots that lost them the game. Those were on Sam Darnold. Um, So, yeah, Adam Gase is out. There are reports that he might head to uh, Tuscaloosa to be Nick Saban's new offensive coordinator. Um, But we'll see. Maybe he gets a QB coaching job or something of the like with the Patriots as well. Okay. It is worth noting that Obviously, the Monday after the NFL season is called Black Monday. We usually see a purging of coaches getting fired from around the league. We've already had throughout the season coaches like um, Mike Mike Patricia with the Lions, Dan Quinn 
with the Falcons and Bill O'Brien with the Texans getting fired during the season. I called this a couple of weeks ago. Um, Anthony Lynn was, was let go with the Chargers and Doug Marone was let go with, uh, by Jacksonville. And that is no surprise by either one of those guys. Uh, Anthony Lynn had some very questionable, questionable throughout the season um, play calling and clock management towards the ends of games. Um, he had that game there uh, against, what was it, against the, the Raiders. They ended up uh, still winning in overtime, but he, he tried to pass on a third down. Then he took a sack. The guy missed a field, badly missed another field goal. And then the Raiders were able to come back and just, just a mess with his clock management. And then Doug Marone, they won the first game of the season against the Colts and then proceeded to lose 15 straight games. That'll get you removed from office as head coach. So sorry, uh, those two guys are gone. And now we will see who these teams decide to hire. Um, It has been reported that the Jaguars are going to be interviewing uh, Urban Meyer. I would love to see the Jets get Urban Meyer and then possibly pair him with Justin Fields. But, you know, that's a pipe dream. We'll just have to wait and see. I don't really want to speculate on, oh, this team is interviewing this guy or that guy. We'll just be here. We'll be here all day. So, okay, next up, let's talk about Derrick Henry for just a second. He led the league, led the AFC in rushing last year, helped the Titans get into the wild card playoff rounds. They ended up beating the Patriots. They beat the Ravens. They made a run to the AFC championship, had a lead there before Patrick Mahomes did uh, Patrick Mahomes things, and they came back and then obviously went on to win the Super Bowl. But Derrick Henry broke 2,000 yards rushing in the fourth quarter against the Texans on Sunday. He became just the eighth running back in NFL history to eclipse 2,000 yards in a season, and the first since Adrian Peterson in 2012. He finished with 250 yards in the game and 2,027 on the season. That is the fifth highest single season total in NFL history. He, um, the NFL record for rushing yards in a season is 2,105 by Eric Dickerson in 1984. Um, it's worth noting that Derrick Henry is the only one of the eight that entered the game needing over 200 yards rushing to eclipse 2,000 yards. He came into the game with 1,777 rushing yards which meant he needed 223 to break the mark. And of course, he ran for like 250. He wins the uh, rushing title yet again. Um, In second in the AFC, rookie Jonathan Taylor. Started off slow, but an absolute beast, a New Jersey native, Wisconsin uh, graduate, a guy that I was high on from the jump. I always said that the Jets should look into drafting him because again, the Jets do not have a running back headed into the offseason. They will need to draft one, maybe a Travis Etienne type, but I would have loved Jonathan Taylor. He's an absolute beast, and he has helped the Colts into the playoffs for the first time in what seems like forever. Now, real quick, I want to highlight what Week 17 meant to a lot of players in terms of incentives. A lot of these players in their contracts, man, these agents, this is why they get paid big bucks. They have incentives in there. So if you you know, play 16, all 16 games, you get a bonus. If you have this many receptions, you get a bonus. You see where I'm going with this. Well, some of these incentives in week 17 were unbelievable. And I, it it almost, I, I can't believe that the players are so aware 
of these incentives at the time uh, that they can, you know, in the middle of a game realize, okay, I need this many catches today. Okay, I have, well, I have this many, I need two more. And they can just get it done. So for example, Emmanuel Sanders, he caught a nine-yard pass over the middle in the third quarter of the Saints' 33-7 blowout against the Panthers. Sanders reacted by throwing both arms up in the air as if he had scored a touchdown. He wasn't celebrating just getting a first down, however. The reception was his eighth of the game, which eight receptions in one game, that's a lot. Why did he have eight receptions in the game? Well, guess what? It's because he needed to get to 60, triggering a $500,000 bonus. I mean, really? Um, Drew Brees even admitted afterwards that he was trying to get Sanders to 60 receptions. It, it, it's crazy that these uh, that these players know, are, are this aware. And then, sorry, I just ate and I'm burping a lot. Um, so when I pause like that, I need to do that. Um, Bucks wide receiver Antonio Brown, he had a $250,000 incentive on the line on Sunday as well. He entered the game against the Falcons nine receptions short of 45 for the season. And by the fourth quarter, guess what the Bucks and Tom Brady were doing? They were, they were up big. They were engineering shovel passes to get him the necessary touches. And guess what? Antonio Brown, in the final two minutes, got his receptions, got to 45, and received that $250 bonus. Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson said at the end of a 26-23 win over the 49ers on Sunday that he changed the play with 22 seconds left to get David Moore a reception. With the game in hand, the catch, by the way, was David Moore's only reception of the game. But guess what? It was his 35th of the season, triggering a ching, 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 $100,000 bonus for David Moore. Some other incentives in play on Sunday. Andy Dalton unfortunately missed out on $1 million when the Cowboys failed to reach the playoffs. Tom Brady earned $562,000, excuse me, $562,500 by finishing in the top five in passing yards. And in a tough blow, teammate Ndamukong Sue missed out on a $500,000 bonus when the Bucks finished outside the top five in total defense. Guess where they finished? Number six. He missed it by one spot. That is rough. And then speaking of Brady, he became the oldest quarterback to throw 40-plus touchdowns in a season. I believe he threw for 43, which is also how old he is. He also joined Peyton Manning as the only quarterbacks with 40 touchdowns on two different franchises. And Rams outside linebacker Leonard Floyd, who's had a phenomenal season, earned himself a $1.25 million bonus with a sack, putting him over 10 for the season. And then real quick, now that the season is over, we can um, discuss the draft order, which has been set. At number one, we've got the Jags. Two is the Jets. Three is the Dolphins. The Dolphins are receiving this from the Texans. I believe this has to do with the um, Laramie Tunsil trade way back when. At four, you have the Falcons. 
At five, you have the Bengals. At six is the Eagles. Seven, the Lions. Eight, Panthers. Broncos are nine. Cowboys, 10. Giants, 11. Niners, 12. Chargers are at 13. The Vikings pick 14th. The Pats are 15th. The Arizona Cardinals are 16th. The Las Vegas Raiders are picking at 17. The Miami Dolphins pick again at 18. And then, of course, the rest of the 14 teams will be determined at the conclusion of the playoffs. So uh, looking forward to the draft because that's all I have left to look forward to as a Jets fan right now. Okay, next up, the Browns. They clinched their first playoff berth since Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets ruled the box office. For those not sure when that was, you got to go back 18 years to the year 2002 when um, the iPhone still hadn't been developed. I don't even think we had the invent the, the inception of the iPod yet at that point. Um, unfortunately for the Browns, though, this is so Browns-like. I, I really feel for you Cleveland fans. Their coach, uh, Kevin Stefanski, first-year head coach, he has come down with COVID and will miss their wild-card playoff game against the Steelers. Uh, special, It's been announced special teams coordinator Mike uh, Pryfer will be acting head coach. And then, as well, Pro Bowl guard Joel Batonio and wide receiver Kaderil Hodge also tested positive along with two more assistant coaches. NFL rules state that anyone testing positive must sit out at least 10 days so consider all of the above-mentioned players and coaches out for this wild card game. It's a huge blow, huge blow for the Cleveland Browns who just played the Steelers. That is their AFC North rival. Of course, Big Ben, a bunch of players didn't play, and it was a sloppy game. Mason Rudolph started for the Steelers, so they get to come back and rematch against them again. Um, but this, you've got to imagine this changes everything, and and the Steelers are going to win this game. So if I was a, you know, a betting man, which I am, I would take the Steelers, provided that this is not a like double-digit spread or something to that effect. Okay, now that the playoff field is set, you can see that one team was left out. Yes, the Miami Dolphins. So the AFC was a little bit crazy this year. There were four teams with 10 and 5 records entering Sunday. And it was the Indianapolis Colts that were on the outs looking in. So the Colts needed a win and a loss from any of the other 10 and 5 teams. So the Browns, the Dolphins, and the Titans. Now, what was interesting about this with the Titans and the Colts, they're in the same division, same record. Titans had the tiebreaker. But if the Titans would have lost and the Colts would have won, the Colts would have gone from missing the playoffs to now winning their own division. And then um, I don't know who would have got kicked out after that because I think the Titans would have still made it maybe over uh, the Browns or somebody. But just interesting there. So the Browns were playing the Steelers B squad, as I just mentioned. So they won that game. Again, it was sloppy. They didn't cover the nine-point spread. That screwed me too. Um, as for the Titans, well, they were winning comfortably before Deshaun Watson staged a comeback to tie the game with 18 seconds left. Now, I was sitting next to my dad. He can attest to this. I told him I am not a proponent of scoring too early. Granted, 18 seconds is not a lot, but guess what? The Titans had three timeouts, and this is a playoff team. They weren't just going to sit on the ball and, and take this thing to overtime. Well, first play, Ryan Tannehill goes deep to A.J. Brown. He catches the ball. They're basically in field goal range already. 
And what do they do? They kick a field goal. Their kicker, Sloman, hits the upright and goes in. And the Titans win the division. Now, real quick on this game, shame on the Houston Texans. This is why you're 4-12, and 12, not because your coach was terrible, traded away the best receiver in the game, all that good stuff. That, that hurts too, but... Deshaun, jo- uh, Deshaun Watson and the Texans left 18 seconds on the clock. That was their own fault and their own doing. Why? Because on third and 10, the Houston Texans elected to try to throw the ball and they threw an incompletion, which stopped the clock. They had a timeout. All the Houston Texans had to do was hand the ball to David Johnson, get a few yards maybe, and keep the clock running and then kick with a few seconds left at that point and send it to overtime. So shame on the Houston Texans for making that mistake. That is part of the problem. And that is why you're four and 12. A lot of bad teams make certain decisions, you know, make bad choices. And this was certainly one of them. Okay. So we know the Titans won and the Browns won. So what about the Dolphins and Colts? The Colts were a later game in the four o'clock window. So that meant the Colts needed to, uh, needed to win and have the Dolphins lose at this point. And wow, going into this game, they actually, I think the Titan game was in the, was might've been in the late window. Um, either way, I, I know uh, uh, Frank Reich said that they turned all the TVs off in the stadium. They didn't want anybody, any of the players, nobody to be distracted by the scores or anything. But the Dolphins, they have themselves a serious issue right now because they were in a win and were in situation much like the Jets in 2015 against the Bills, and they lost that game. We weren't sure how much Josh Allen would play. It turned out to be a half. He only needed to play a half because he put up astronomical numbers, 223 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, just a beast. And on the flip side, look, we know two was coming off a major hip injury. He was, you know, a top five pick in this year's draft. I've always said this. I never thought he was a next level guy. I never thought that this guy was NFL uh, ready, especially being a lefty. And he's a little bit undersized. And you're seeing a lot of that now. And Brian Flores had no qualms about benching him midway through the game and bringing in Fitzpatrick for that, you know, Fitz magic, which he orchestrated against the Raiders, as you saw last week. But they could not do that this week because Fitz contracted COVID and had to sit out. So, unfortunately, they were forced to leave Tua in this game. He goes 35 of 58, 361 yards, a lot of yards, right? But just one touchdown, and he threw three brutal interceptions, Um, just absolutely brutal. Like I said, Josh Allen was great in a half, and in a game in which you need to win and you're in, the Dolphins were routed 56 to 26 ending their chances of making the playoffs because Indy steamrolled through the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, yep, somebody had to be left out. This year, it was the 10-6 and six Miami Dolphins. Usually any other, other year, 10-6 and six is a good enough record to get you in. The two years the Jets went to the AFC Championship game, I believe they got into the wild card as, nine and seven, uh, as a 9-7 and seven team. And just some years, them's the breaks. You know, they added an extra playoff team this year and still 10 and 6 couldn't get them in. That is tough. Um, and yeah, like I said, um, the playoff field is set now. 14 teams, 7 in the AFC, 7 in the NFC. It's worth noting only the first 
only the number one seeds this year get a bye. So that's the Chiefs in the AFC and the Packers in the NFC. Congrats are also in order for the uh, Washington football team as they won the NFC least with a 7-9 and nine record. Um, and shout out to the Eagles for deliberately losing that game on Sunday night. They flexed the game. Do you believe that? They flexed the game from an afternoon game between the Eagles and uh, Redskins. They flexed it to Sunday night, and Doug Peterson had the audacity to, in a three-point game, not go for a 52-yard field goal, then take a penalty to then punt into the end zone, then bring in uh, Nate Sudfeld, who was just, God help Nate Sudfeld. He stood no chance against that front seven from Washington. He deliberately blew the game. He tanked it. He purposely lost the game. And his excuse, well, not his excuse, because he claims that they tried to win and he needed to get a look at Nate Sudfeld. Yeah, okay. Um, He apparently wanted to go from the number nine pick down to number six because whoever he wants at number number six, he's, oh my God, he couldn't get him at number nine. And well, you might want to take a quarterback because after that performance, um, you're going to be looking for one because there's practically a mutiny in Philadelphia right now. Jalen Hurts couldn't have been too happy. There's reports that a couple of players were going after Doug Peterson. I thought maybe Doug Peterson hated being the Eagles head coach so much that he was going to do everything he could to sabotage the, this game to get himself fired. Um, there's a lot of rumors that maybe he'd come to the Jets if, we're, if that were the case. But so far, there's been no indication that he was fired or will be. So yeah, that was much of the talk early in the week. And um, I will get to that more so later on, but Joe Judge of the New York Giants, their head coach, he had words um, for the Eagles. And so like I said, I'll get to that a little bit later, but wow, um, the Giants had beef because the Giants beat the Cowboys earlier in the day in what would amount to... um, the Wayne Gallman butt fumble 2.0 in which he sat on the ball after getting a first down to ice the game. He starts running, loses the ball, sits on it. There's a scrum. There's They're fighting for the ball. It looks like the Cowboys come up with it, but they rule it uh, Giants ball. So the Giants won that game, meaning they needed Washington to lose on Sunday night. And the rivalry between the Giants and the Eagles is fierce, okay? They hate each other so badly. And it's no surprise that Doug Peterson could have thrown this game just to spite the New York football giants. But either way, it was a savage, savage move by Doug Peterson because it was as blatant a tank job as I have ever seen in my lifetime. Wow. Next up, let's talk real quick about Aaron Rodgers. He finished the regular season with a career-high 48 touchdown passes. Are him and Tom Brady just like fine wines? They just keep getting better with age, I swear to you. Just an unbelievable season. Over the course of 16 games, Aaron Rodgers had more touchdowns than the Green Bay Packers had punts. They punted 46 times all season long in 16 games, and... Aaron Rodgers had 48 touchdowns. I guarantee you the Jets punted 46 times within the first six weeks of the season. Lamar Jackson 
congrats are in order to him as well. He became the first quarterback in NFL history to record multiple 1,000 rushing, 1,000 yard rushing seasons. Actually, there's only one other quarterback that recorded 1,000 yard uh, rushing season, and that was Michael Vick in 2006. Mike Evans became the first player in NFL history to put up 1,000 plus receiving yards in each of his first seven seasons, passing Randy Moss. Interestingly enough, uh, this is crazy sometimes how this happens. Um, he reached the 1,000-yard mark on Sunday before leaving the game for good with an injury. He would never return. There is some question about um, his status for tomorrow night's wild card game against Washington. There is a chance that he will play, but we're not sure. And then I didn't include this, but Frank Gore... He hit the century mark, 16,000 rushing yards exactly before he went on to IR um, with an injury. So he missed the last week of the season. Okay, Texas, the Texas Longhorns football program, they fired Tom Herman. Um, I'm not totally shocked that Herman was fired, but after you put it all together, it, it is a little bit harsh. And what I mean by that is he did go 32 and 18 in four years at Texas including 10 and 4 in 2018. However, it was his 1 and 4 mark against Oklahoma and home losses this season to TCU and Iowa State that did him in. Much like Jim Harbaugh not being able to beat Ohio State, Herman could not beat Oklahoma. Herman is out more on Jim Harbaugh just a little bit later. But you'd think Texas is an attractive job, right? I I mean uh, they, they, they won the national championship with Vince Young. I, I mean, this is a powerhouse football program, but look at this. They won the first ever big 12 title back in 1996. And since then they've only won two more in 05 and 09. Texas did not waste much time in replacing Herman with Steve Sarkeesian, Alabama's offensive coordinator. Uh, Sarkeesian has head coaching experience at USC. He was also offensive coordinator with the Atlanta Falcons and most recently for the last two years with Alabama. He took over for um, Lane Kiffin when he left. Actually, did he? Uh, Lane Kiffin, that was a while ago. I don't. Regardless, whatever. Um, but Here's what I will say. It's been a while since Sarkeesian has been a head coach. Of course, we know he had the drinking problem and all that. As far as we can tell, that's totally behind him. He was not a good offensive coordinator at, at, at with the Falcons. I'm sorry. But more the more we see of the Falcons the last few years, even without him, they're just a dumpster fire in general. They can't get Julio Jones the ball in the red zone. They can't score in the red zone, period. Um, so that's a bit perplexing. But it's hard to say how he will do in Texas because Alabama, the last two years, they put up historically good numbers. Granted, you had Mac Jones and obviously uh, Devontae Smith and Najee Harris. Two, I mean, three of the top, what, two or three players at their positions in all of the nation. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm pretty sure that if I were calling plays for Alabama's offense, that I could get a head coaching job as well. Um. But again, it's this is Texas, and I have some some advice for Sarkeesian. Texas has probably the best football talent in America, okay? Besides maybe like California. 
Texas, it's warm all year round. You can play football like all year round. I, I mean, phenomenal talent. It's such a big state. Um, that's all that basically Friday nights, these, these small towns in Texas, they shut the town down and everybody goes, it's Friday night lights, right? And you just watch football. So that's how much they love their football there in, in Texas. If you want to build a big 12 powerhouse and bring Texas back to, you know, national attention, get them in a New Year's six bowl, get them into the CFP. It starts on the defensive side of the football. You better hire yourself a damn good defensive coordinator because Sarkeesian's an offensive-minded guy. Because the Big 12 defense, Big uh, Big 12 doesn't play defense. We, we've seen it with Oklahoma now. They got to the CFP two years in a row and got blown out by powerhouse programs because they do not have a good defense, okay? Granted, in the Big 12 championship game, it wasn't as high scoring as I thought between Oklahoma and Iowa State. But still, historically, the Big 12's defense is not good. And Texas did not have a good defense with, huh, I know him very well because he coached Rutgers. Chris Ash was their defensive coordinator. And some of these games, he gave up over 40 points a game. And you cannot be a national powerhouse when your defense is that bad. So get that squared away first. The offense will come. Okay. So that's my advice to uh, Steve Sarkeesian. And then of course, sticking with college football, the CFP was played on Friday night. And while there was really no surprise, Bama made it through Notre Dame with pretty much relative ease, 31 to 14. They did not cover the highest point spread ever in the CFP of 20, which I tried to warn people that that was a very high spread. And to take Notre Dame, um, it was the Ohio State Clemson game that left many in shock and awe, including myself. Um, I was going to take Clemson to win the national championship after what I saw from uh Alabama against Florida. I thought their defense was very suspect in that game. That turned out to be a uh, relative anomaly. But Clemson, not only did they not make it to the national championship, they got absolutely walloped. They got smacked in the throat and they couldn't recover. Uh, I mean, you hear, you know, they literally, you hear the phrase, they got... um punched in the mouth, and then they were not able to recover. It was one of the most stunning things I had ever seen. Um, But when you look at the grand scheme of things, how surprised am I? Not all that surprised. Clemson was seven and a half point favorites, but Dabo Sweeney, we all know how great a coach he is, but Dabo was, uh, he woke a sleeping beast is basically what happened. Um, he called out Ohio State, said they don't have enough games played, only what, five or six and oh at that point. Um, 6-0 after beating Northwestern in the Big Ten title game. He said he would not have them in his CFP and he would rank them like 11th or 12th best team. Well, they showed you, Dabo, and uh, shame on you for coming out and saying something so idiotic. Justin Fields erased any doubts about his ability as a quarterback at the next level, at least for now, okay? And running back Trey Sermon continues to be one of the greatest stories of this college football season, a trans grad transfer from Oklahoma. Um, behind, he he's sat behind Master Teague all season long. And then for whatever reason, I missed out why Master Teague hasn't been playing. I assume an injury of some sort or COVID related. Trey Sermon, Big Ten title game, rushes, of course, for over 300 yards, comes back in the CFP and rushes for 193 yards. 
Now you're talking, he's on the same field as Travis Etienne, who besides Najee Harris, probably the best running all around running back in college and probably going to be a uh, early second round draft pick. I don't know that any running backs will go in the first round. Um, it's really going to be between him and Najee Harris who goes first. And I don't believe either goes in the first round. I think that the Jets picking first in the second round, if I were the Jets, I would go after either one of these guys. I personally would go after ETN because he's more of a shifty Alvin Kamara type, can receive out of the backfield and just has really good speed. But again, you can't go wrong with either of these two guys. Um, but Sermon outperformed him. 193 yards, Fields threw for um, 385 yards and six touchdowns. And guess what? Travis Etienne was held to 10 carries, 32, uh, uh, yeah, 32 yards and one touchdown. While, guess what? The surefire number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence, the best player that we've seen since Andrew Luck. You can't go wrong taking him number one. Yeah, he threw for 400 yards, but he only threw for one touchdown and managed to throw. No, he threw two touchdowns and one interception, which not a good game for Trevor Lawrence, if you know anything about Trevor Lawrence. And the final score wasn't close. Ohio State winning this one 49 to 28. They put the whole world on notice now headed to this national championship game. And I caution anybody that wants to jump on Bama at minus eight or, or higher because listen, Steve Sarkeesian is now going to be the head coach at Texas. He's got one foot at the, out the door. And I, I'm not even 100% that he's going to be coaching in this game and calling plays because something similar happened with Lane Kiffin a few years ago. Okay, so that's something to keep an eye on, and I'm dead serious about that. But when you have a guy like Devontae Smith um, and you have Mac Jones, who in my opinion was the best quarterback this season, then it's really hard to bet against what Alabama's been doing. Next up, John Muckler, former Edmonton Oilers coach, died at the age of 86. Got to get my NHL uh, news in, in there. Uh, Muckler won five Stanley Cups with the Oilers as a coach. He died Monday at the age of 86. He was an assistant on Edmonton's cup-winning teams of 84, 85, 87, and 88 before winning as head coach in 1990. I did not realize the Oilers were that dominant. I mean, that is a dominant team to win that many years, 94, 95, 97. This is like the 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 uh, the New York Yankees in the late, you know, 90s, win, winning every every year, it seemed like. Um, he later he did later serve as general manager of the Ottawa Senators. One of the various roles he had in his more than 50 years in hockey as a player, coach, and executive. And I'm getting too many group me notifications, so I got to turn those off. Back to college football real quick. Former Wisconsin quarterback Jack Cohn is transferring to Notre Dame. Of course, Ian Book now graduating. So there is an opening there for him to compete for a job. He made the announcement Monday on Twitter. The grad transfer will be immediately eligible for the se for next season. Cone is a New York uh, native. He grew up there as well. So I'm a little confused. And, I, you know, I'm shocked he didn't consider Rutgers. Shiano is bringing this program back. They didn't win as many games as maybe they could have. But 
that team is clearly better than what it's been of late and they're back, you know, they're on the rise and they will get things straightened away. But they do have an issue at quarterback, does Rutgers. So I'm surprised he didn't consider them or maybe he did and I didn't hear about it. But um, I'm sure if he did, I would have heard about it. Uh, and Wisconsin and Notre Dame, they play each other on September 25th at Soldier Field in Chicago, obviously where the Bears play. So circle that one on your calendars if he does win over the starting job because his numbers in 2019, I mean, he led them to a Rose Bowl. He's a lefty, which you know how I feel about that. But uh, he ended up missing the entire 2020 season due to foot surgery. Next up, uh, John Elway, he announced earlier this week that he was stepping back from his role as general manager. He will remain the team's president of football operations in 2021, saying the changes are part of a transition I've thought about for a long time. Well, he's now 60 years old. Um, not that that's, you know, old by any stretch of the imagination, but he probably just wants to dial it down a bit. Um, he did say that he um, basically he is going to have, you know, still all the importance of making those final decisions of, you know, having an impact on those decisions, but just less of the day-to-day -day stuff. So basically he fired himself only to give himself a promotion, which kudos to you, uh, John Elway. I guess that's what you get when you make it to four Super Bowls, winning two of them. Vic Fangio will remain head coach and be involved in the hiring process for a new GM who will have the final say in all personnel decisions. This is interesting because I know, you know, Nick, who's on the pick segment and has been on the podcast before, he's a huge Denver Broncos fan. He is over Vic Fangio. I've been saying it for a few years now. Vic Fangio's time management is awful, awful. And I think they should have parted ways because it was another lost year for the Denver Broncos. Let's talk some NBA real quick. My Brooklyn Nets are making headlines this week for all of the wrong reasons. I, I'm, I'm being, I feel like as a Nets fan, I'm being pulled in two different directions, okay? Because I've got the, I've got the Nets who have actually won a couple games this week, and then I've got the other Nets who um, are, are missing Kevin Durant. Well, and let's start there. Um, due to the NBA strict COVID guidelines, Kevin Durant is going to be required to miss the next seven days as he quarantines after coming in contact with someone that tested positive for COVID. Now, look, it's been a few days already. They've played two games in that stretch. Steve Nash did say he might be eligible to play on Sunday, which is good news, okay? But we weren't sure how the Nets would play. Um, it was a big blow to a team that, what, was like, I think three and four had Utah on Tuesday. Well, they showed us that they don't really need Kevin Durant. Steve Nash did a marvelous job. He tweaked up the, the starting lineup. He, he took Joe Harris out of the starting lineup. Joe Harris, who had started 155 straight games, took him out of the starting lineup, said, I don't care about, about that record or, or that streak that you have going. And he brought him in off the bench and the Nets were phenomenal. Phenomenal. They beat they beat the Jazz 130 to 96. And probably the quote of the week, um, I don't have the audio for you, but it was Jared Allen after the game. He was superb. He was entered into the starting lineup as well. Jared Allen, 19 points, 18 rebounds, and it was his defense on Rudy Gobert that was that was all the talk of the town. Um, he held Rudy Gobert, who's a defensive player of the year. Uh, seven footer held him to just 10 points on three of 10 shooting, had a few blocked shots, just a monster game. And afterwards, Jared Allen said, uh, this was the quote of the week for sure. Jared Allen said, 
I'm usually a pesto on my pasta kind of guy before games. But he said, um, tonight I went with the Alfredo sauce and I think that made all the world of difference in, in, in the way I played. So I thought that was, that was pretty funny. And yeah, the Nets routed the Jazz 130 to 96. Jazz are still ironing things out. They've had a tough road, uh, road schedule to start out the season. But props to Steve Nash. Props to Steve Nash. Now, the other reason why the Nets made headlines is for yesterday. This has been making the rounds. This is, this is the problem. Um, a lot of people said this. Um, this was going to happen. Kyrie Irving went AWOL yesterday, guys. That is the big news. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, if you did not know this by now, you will be, you, you'll be hearing about it from me when you listen. Kyrie Irving, just a few hours before the game, Steve Nash could not contact him, and he did not show up. It was reported that he was going to be missing the game for personal reasons. When I hear personal reasons, I'm like, oh, no, I hope somebody didn't die. I hope everything's okay. Well, they listed it as personal reasons because he just didn't show up. And it's been reported that Steve Nash tried twice, can't get in contact with him. Um, The problem with all of this is that I hope— Kyrie's okay. Many people said this is the problem with Kyrie. He's a deep thinker. He's a philosopher type, and he might be might have a screw or two loose upstairs. Let's just say that he once said the Earth was flat. Yeah, like we know Kyrie by now. He had issues in Boston. He's running around the arenas with Sage in the preseason. I mean, he's just a different dude, right? And so he doesn't show up. Well, the problem with this is that I bet the Nets last night. DraftKings had a boost, hundred percent odds boost for any bet on the Nets and Sixers. Now, I have been money with my NBA bets. I really, I can't put it any plainer, any clearer. My NBA bets since the season started have been redonkulously good. I can't keep up this pace, but while it's going, let's go. So my brother had texted me about this bonus, which I didn't know about. And I was like, you know what? I know there's no Durant, but we've got Kyrie and I like the Nets chances. There was some talk of, Embiid might sit on the back end of, of a, uh, um, you know, two games in two nights. And so I was like, okay, if they sit Embiid, the line is going to change and the Nets odds are going to be terrible. They're going to go to become favorites. So I jumped on the Nets, maybe around five o'clock, jumped on the Nets. It was like minus 106. It was a one point spread at that point. Got the boosted odds, so I put the max was 50 bucks to win 95. So total, uh, you know, $145. And I'm feeling good. Not two minutes from when I placed that bet. Excuse me, I'm probably exaggerating. It was probably closer to like, you know, 10, 20. They announced Kyrie Irving is out for personal reasons. I was just pissed because I'm like, well, great. There goes my 50 bucks. Nets are going to lose and I'm screwed. You know, Sixers are seven and one, best record in the East, Um, all that good stuff. Well, Steve Nash worked his magic. Got to be very difficult to be a head coach in the league when you don't know where your your superstar player is and you thought you were going to have him. And then last second, you don't hear from him. So you just have to move forward with him and, and, and play the game with the cards that you're dealt. Well, he did that, and Joe Harris scored 28. Dinwiddie had 22, 10, and 7, almost a triple-double, although he missed six free throws. Like, come on, Levert. Uh, You got to do better than that. And the Nets 
stomped, absolutely stomped the Sixers. 122 to 109. Um, they were just absolutely marvelous. There was about a dozen times I had the DraftKings app open, refresh, refresh, and I almost cashed out a bunch of times. And then at some point in the third, it didn't let me cash out anymore. And I was like, well, we're riding with this. Let's pray the Nets hold on. There was a scare at the beginning of the fourth quarter, but no, the Nets held on and they got the win. So Steve Nash, you get the early uh, head coaching awards for coach of the year right now, because what you're dealing with is unreal that you were able to win these two games. And now I hear today, I wake up, Kyrie Irving did not travel with the team, again is not playing, and nobody seems to know why. There's speculation, maybe he's protesting everything that's going on in Washington, D.C. Uh, there's a report that someone close to him said he is okay, um, but there's no other information. Then somebody else tweeted um, that, I quote, I just didn't feel like playing, which is, whoa, that's disturbing. Then Karis LeVert did say after last night's game that Kyrie did text them before the game. Um, the fact that they're not revealing exactly what he said or what's going on there leads me to believe that this is some this is some sort of personal matter. Um, you know, maybe it does have to do with a family member. I don't know. I, I just don't know why they wouldn't come out and say this. And now I'm a little worried because this is not a good look for the Nets. This is not a good look for Kyrie Irving. I picked the Nets to win the championship, okay, to win an NBA title. They look unbelievable without these two guys. Put them back on the court together, and this team can win a title. I just hope everything's okay. I'm just glad that, you know, Kyrie texted his teammates and all that. But come on, bro. What kind of look is this? Weren't You were raised better than this. You don't call at, you don't, it, listen, if you don't want to show up to work, that's one thing. You need to call ahead and let somebody know. If I just decided, uh, you know, I get up at 5.30 every day for work, 5.30-ish. Um, if I just decided one day, you know what? I don't, I feel, sh I feel like crap, uh, you know, um, just to be careful because of COVID go stuff going on like that. I'm going to stay home today and be responsible. That's all well and fine. I get sick days too and personal days that I can take off. But I have to tell somebody. All I have to do is get up at, you know, 5.30, send out a quick email to my boss and, you know, CC everybody else that I work with on that email and say, look, I'm sick today. I'm not coming in. Bing, bang, boom, easy, done, over with. My boss would respond, be like, okay, you know, feel better, whatever. That's all he had to do. That's all Kyrie had to do, okay? But the fact that he's now done this multiple times, and we've seen this from certain players where they go AWOL, I mean- Listen, he's not making it very easy for the Nets. He's making it possibly to the point where we all know what's going on with James Harden in Houston. Does Sean Marks decide this is totally disrespectful? I'm done with the antics. Let me call up the Rockets right now and make a trade for Houston's own James Harden or Jim Harden who wants out of Houston. This, this is a possibility, guys. Um, so Kyrie did not travel with the Nets to Memphis and he will not play yet again tonight. I am pounding. You're not going to hear this in time, but I am pounding. Um, I Well, I'm not going to bet against my own team, but if you're out there, I would pound Memphis. Nets coming off this second leg of a back-to-back. -back. They won a game last night. They had no business winning, played out of their minds. I don't see them winning without Kyrie and KD in Memphis, even though they are without Ja Morant. I think Dylan Brooks, who had an off night last, uh, last night, I think Dylan Brooks goes off tonight and I think that, honestly, I think Memphis wins this game big, personally speaking. 
But anyway, that's my rant on the Brooklyn Nets. That's kind of a big deal surrounding the NBA right now. Um, Okay, next up, I talked about this earlier with Doug Peterson deliberately throwing that Sunday night football matchup against the Washington football team. Joe Judge laid the hammer on Doug Peterson. I believe uh, this was in the middle of the week. Listen to what Joe Judge had to say. It's not what he said, it's how he said it. Obviously, players have asked me throughout the day, and and I just can't express that. The one thing to keep in mind with this season is we had a lot of people opt in to this season. Okay. We had a lot of people opt in. All right. Coaches, players, that includes family members as well. All right. So to look at a group of grown men who I asked to give me effort on a day in, day out basis and to empty the tank, and then I can look them in the eye and assure them that I'm always going to do everything I can to put them at a competitive advantage and play them in a position of strength. To me, you don't ever want to disrespect those players and their effort and disrespect the game. The sacrifices that they made to come into work every day and test before coming in, to sit in meetings spaced out, to wear masks, to have shields over those masks, to go through extensive protocols, to travel in unconventional ways, to get text messages at 6.30 in the morning telling practice is going to be canceled. We have to do a virtual day, okay, to tell them, please don't have your family over for Thanksgiving. Please avoid Christmas gatherings. We know it's your wife's birthday. Let's make sure we put that one off to the offseason. There's a number of sacrifices been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members of the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, We will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. And that's really the key takeaway is that last few seconds at the end, he will never disrespect the game by doing what Doug Peterson did. Now, there is a difference. There was talk that, you know, if it's week 17 and you're in the position of the Steelers and you bench all your starters to lose the game because you've secured. But the difference with that is the Steelers announced that a week in advance. Like we all knew that they were going to bench Big Ben and that's their right because they secured a playoff spot. So that's a little bit different. So yeah, I I, I totally, I'm a Joe Judge guy. Like if Joe Judge wasn't on the Giants, I'd root for this guy, Michael Kay. Um, he always jokes every day that, you know, can't inbound Joe Judge. Like he loves himself some, some Joe Judge and because he comes from Belichick and he's a Patriot guy. When the Jets were going through their 0-13 season, I was not one of those Jets fans praying that they lose every single game so they can get Trevor Lawrence. Even in that Rams game, I was when the Jets had a lead and the Rams looked really bad, I was rooting for the Jets to win. So was my dad. We're not the type of people that are going to root for our teams to lose, okay? It would have to be a very rare circumstance for that to occur. And so for Doug Peterson to do that, it was a scummy move. And um, yeah, wow. Wow. Um, so yeah, that I thought that was interesting. Uh, and then next up, here's some other sounds from around the league. Um, Chase Young, I know he's a rookie, probably going to be a top two finalist for rookie of the year, probably losing that out, losing out to Justin Herbert. But after an emotional victory over the Eagles to advance into the playoffs, they get to now host the Tampa Bay Bucks and Tom Brady and. Chase Young, somebody should have told him that you never, never come at the GOAT. 
So that was him running off the field, Chase Young there at the end of the game. He's like, Tom Brady, I'm coming. I want Tom. I want Tom. You don't do that. Bruce Arians got wind of that, and he said, you better be careful what you wish for. The Bucks have been the highest scoring NFL offense in like the last five weeks, I believe. Um, so huh, I honestly, I don't want to jinx it because the Bucs are my, are my Super Bowl pick, and I've got a lot riding on the Bucs, but... The Washington football team, their whole strategy, the, the reason they're winning games is that front and that defense and led, led by rookie Chase Young, obviously. But uh, I just don't see this game being even close. Bruce Arians said, like I said, you better wish what you better be careful what you wish for. Well, here was Tom Brady when asked about his reaction. You know, he's a um He's obviously a great young player. So, uh, you know, we got our hands full with that D-line, one of the best D-lines in the league. So uh, Chase is a great young player. He went to Ohio State, so naturally I think the Ohio, the Ohio State-Michigan thing wears off on him a little bit. I understand that. But um, we're, we're prepared for, you know, a tough challenge. And um, should be a fun game. A little coy there, but uh, yeah, you I know deep down inside TB12 is like, he is going to come at Chase Young so hard in this game. I would not be surprised if Brady throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns, and this game is like final score 42 to like 13. Uh, that, I, that would not surprise me in the least. Next up, we had the Heisman, which was announced earlier this week. And in surprising-ish fashion, um, Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith wins the Heisman Trophy, becoming the first wide receiver since 1991 to win the award. Here's uh, a listen uh, to his speech. First off, I would like to thank God. Without him, none of this would be possible. Um, congratulate all the finalists. Just to be in this situation with you guys, y'all are great athletes, and just to be a part of something like this is truly a blessing. Um, I want to thank my family, my mom, my dad, just everything that y'all taught me to mold me into the young man I am today. Um, I want to thank my mentor, Vincent Sanders. Without you, I wouldn't be where I am today. Just from the rise to taking me places that I want to visit, just to doing things and just helping me get to where I am. I want to thank Coach Saban for giving me the opportunity to come play at the University of Alabama. Uh, thank Coach Wiggins, my receiver coach, just for helping me day in and day out, watching film, making me a better player. Thank my teammates. Um, with team success comes individual success, so without y'all, I wouldn't be where I am today winning this award. And just to all the young kids out there that's not the biggest, not the strongest, just keep pushing because I'm not the biggest. I've been doubted a lot just because of my size. And really, it just comes down to you put your mind to it, you can do it. No job is too big. If you put your mind to it, you can do it and just keep believing in God and you'll get where you want to be. I would like to thank Jeff Allen and the athletic training staff here for giving me all the resources to continue playing this game, to keep me healthy so I can go out there and do the things that I, that I like to do. Thank our president, Dr. Bell, and our athletic director, Mr. Burns, just for being here and making everything possible with COVID going on and giving us a chance to play this season. 
Thank you. Roll Tide. So well said. I can appreciate Devontae Smith being a smaller guy as I grew up, the smallest guy on the field every time I, you know, I, I went out there. I've been advocating, I have said this for many, many weeks, dating way back. Devontae Smith is a stud. Do not tell me what the experts are thinking because I know it. The experts have said that at his size and stature, he can't sustain a lengthy NFL career or have success in this league. Look at Robbie Anderson, ladies and gentlemen. Robbie Anderson was an undrafted player out of Temple. The Jets discovered this guy and he became a stud, deep ball threat, great hands. He is probably like a buck tw- like a buck 50 soaking wet, right? Like super skinny, not even. Whatever. Goes to the Panthers, again had great success this year was on my fantasy team. So compare him to a guy like that. Devontae Smith will be fine. If I am the New York Jets, I've said this before, and I don't want to stay on this too long because I do want to finish up the show. The New York Jets need to find a way to draft Devontae Smith. We still don't know what Denzel Mims is. He got hurt again in this Pats game, and he's barely played all year long. So we need another receiver. If I am the New York Jets and you're absolutely sure you want to take Justin Fields or, you know, Zach Wilson or another quarterback at number two, go ahead and do that. If not, the most obvious thing to do if I'm the Jets, trade back, accrue, you know, maybe trade with the team that's in the teens or or has a pick, you know, yeah, in the teens about. Let them get the two pick. You take their pick and then you get another pick maybe for the following season. And then that is when I would take Devontae Smith because the Jets do have a, a 20th, 20-something pick. It depends where the Seahawks finish. That could be as high as, that could be like 25. That could be, you know, something lower. We don't know yet. So they do have Seattle's pick because of, you know, the Jamal Adams trade. So we don't know. We think Devontae Smith will be gone by then. So I think that's in the Jets' best interest to do that. And then with that 20-something pick, they could either take an offensive lineman, you know, or what have you. They could then wait a few rounds. If they like a Kyle Trask, maybe draft him and say the third round, something like that. So that's, I think the Jets need, whoever gets Devontae Smith is getting a future Hall of Famer. Let's just put it that way. That's how good this guy is, in my opinion. Next up, um, the U.S. upset Canada to win gold at the World Junior Championship. Talking a lot of hockey today. Um, Two to nil was the final in Tuesday's win. Um, It gives them a gold at the IIHF World Junior Championship. This was the U.S.'s fifth title at the event and fourth straight gold medal meeting with Canada, which was aiming for back-to-back gold and its 19th title. Canada entered at 6-0 in the tournament, having yet to trail in any game or allow an even-strength goal, and the U.S. blanked them 2-0. So congrats to to the U.S. U.S. team, USA, USA. Canada's always good at hockey, so it's nice to see U.S. winning something. The Texans, back to NFL, the Texans hired Nick Casario as their new general manager. The 45-year-old comes over from the Patriots and will take over a team that fired its head coach and de facto GM Bill O'Brien earlier this season. Casario joined the Pats in 01 and served in a variety of roles on the personnel and coaching staffs before being named Director of Player Personnel in 2008. He was part of six Super Bowl-winning teams. You, 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 you'd be happy if you hired Nick Casario, right? Well, 
Not so if you're Deshaun Watson, who after the hiring tweeted, some things never change. Apparently, Deshaun was upset that he was not consulted on the hire. I didn't realize that Deshaun Watson had to be consulted on who upper management hires for certain roles. Head coach maybe as the franchise quarterback you'd want to say. Well, they spurred him, spurned him yet again because Deshaun made it very clear he wants Eric Bieniemy as his head coach. The, the Texans are the only team with a head coaching vacancy that did not interview Eric Bieniemy. This has really ticked off Deshaun Watson to the point where he has floated the idea to teammates of him requesting a trade. So keep an eye on that because if Deshaun Watson requests a trade, all bets are off. The New York Jets can now get themselves a top five quarterback without having to draft one. Um, The New York Giants could be in play for a quarterback because we're still not sold on either New York quarterback. I mean, a lot is at stake here. So that is something to keep an eye on. Uh, Peyton Manning, Calvin Johnson, Charles Woodson, they lead a class of Hall of Fame finalists. In total, there were 15 names as finalists. Only five of them will be inducted. That will be the day before the Super Bowl on February 6th. And then some other news back to the NBA. Markel Fultz suffered a season-ending torn ACL versus the Cavs. The injury occurred Wednesday night on a play in which Fultz drove to the basket in the first quarter. The 22-year-old was experiencing a bit of a resurgence. Former number one overall pick. uh, Didn't work out in Philly. Bit of a resurgence since he's come over to the Magic. 14.3 points, 6.1 assists, and 3.6 rebounds per game this season. Uh, The Excuse me, the Magic did win that game over the Cavs 105 to 94, and they improved their record to 6 and 2 as of Wednesday night. And Orlando, this always this just blows my mind how this happens. Of course, Markel Fultz just signed a 3-year $50 million contract extension in December, but if I'm at the Magic or if I'm a Magic fan, you know, all is not lost. He's just 22 years old. He will recover and, you know, he could still go on to have a great career. The Dolphins are going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator for the third time in three years as the team announced Chan Gailey uh, resigned after one season, which I didn't realize Chan Gailey was their offensive coordinator, but I just cannot believe that it's a little intriguing now that Brian Flores is, you know, they're always saying what a good coach he is, but now it's been three years of Brian Flores and you're going to be looking for yet again another another offensive coordinator every year he's been there. Hard to have success. On Wednesday night, Bradley Beal tried to match Steph's 62, pouring in 60 of his own in a 143-136 loss to the Sixers. And then surprisingly enough, guys, after last night's game against the Brooklyn Nets, the 76ers are now in quarantine in New York after it was learned that Seth Curry tested positive during the game last night. So apparently they were awaiting his test results, yet he was still allowed to sit on the bench air, in the bench area without a mask on. And I am reading as of right now that, hold on, let me just double check. Um, so the Sixers are, there's no changes yet to the status of the games for the Philly, for Philly, because they played the uh, the Nuggets tomorrow, I believe. Or the Nets. So the problem here is they played the Nets. The Nets then got on a plane 
and flew to Memphis for their game tonight. So as of right now, these games should have been, should be starting any minute. Um, the Nets game is on and Philly's game for tomorrow. We don't know because multiple other players have tested positive um, from what I'm reading and from what I'm hearing. So keep an eye out for that. We saw Denver lost an OT last night. And then they jumped on a plane and left for Philly because this game against the Sixers tomorrow is in Philly. We still have no word on that. We probably won't know until tomorrow. So keep an eye on that. Um, next up, Jim Harbaugh will not be going to the NFL. Many rumors there. It was a dismal year um, at Michigan. They just did not do well, and there was many clamoring for Harbaugh to be fired, and maybe he's a better fit for the NFL where he had tons of success. Well, guess what? Nope. Michigan, they ignored the uh, call to fire him from the fans and the alumni and the students. Instead, he agreed to an extension that now runs through 2025. Harbaugh signing a four-year extension with revised financial terms effective January 11th, 2021. So that will take effect, what, on Monday, right? Yeah, the 11th is Monday, same day as a national championship. And speaking about the Nuggets again, Michael Porter Jr., their young star who really emerged in the bubble, he will be out at least 10 more days. He just finished a seven-day quarantine this week due to contact tracing protocols and now faces an additional quarantine period in the 10 to 14 range. I'm not exactly sure why, to be quite honest. I don't know if he came down with COVID himself or came in contact with somebody else. I'm not really sure. And then yesterday, we had a blockbuster trade in Major League Baseball. Um, Uncle Steve, as many Met fans are calling him, Steve Cohen, the new Mets owner, richest owner in sports, worth $14 billion. He went out, made a blockbuster trade with the Cleveland Indians, the Mets acquiring Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco in a six-player blockbuster trade. Okay, the Mets, uh, excuse me, the Cleveland Indians will receive Andres Jimenez, which is 22-year-old stud of a shortstop. Probably that's the, the one guy that they really wanted. They will get Ahmed Rosario, who has been up and down in his tenure with the Mets. No great loss, as my Met fan friends told me. Guy can't hit, and he makes a ton of errors. And they will also be receiving Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green. Can't say I know who the last two guys are. But yes, big-time blockbuster trade. Tommy Lasorda, the Hall of Famer and Dodgers legend, he has died at the age of 83. This is a bit sad because I had just heard Tommy Lasorda did get discharged from the hospital within the last couple of days because uh, he did have COVID, but um, the team said he suffered sudden cardiac arrest at his home, then was transported to a hospital and pronounced dead at 10.57 p.m. So that's unfortunate. So RIP to the legendary um, Tommy Lasorda. My brother is all of a sudden just texting me out of the blue, left and right. Um, okay, he's texting me about uh, nothing important. <laughs> okay, so um, anyway, back to this. I want to wrap up. I want to wrap this up right now. Jesus Christ. Okay, hold on. I got to mute these notifications while I finish this up, excuse me, let me put on do not disturb real quick. Okay, there we go. Okay, so next up, we're at the final 
segment on this date in sports. And I could have gone a few different ways because today, uh, January 8th, this date in sports is significant. We had in 2000, the Titans beat the Bills in the Music City Miracle. In 2018, we had uh, the national championship where Tua came on in relief and he uh, threw that touchdown to Devontae Smith in overtime to beat Georgia and give the uh, uh, the Tide their 17th national championship. We had Clay Thompson. Uh, Clay Thompson in 2019 score 43 points on just four dribbles versus, yeah, the Knicks. That's why I bet against them tonight. But the most notorious play in sports history that occurred on this day was Beastquake. Ten years ago today, January 8th, 2010, when Marshawn Lynch, actually that's the last time the Jets made the playoffs. So yeah, that's significant too. When Marshawn Lynch broke numerous Saints tackles on his way to a 67-yard Earthquake-inducing touchdown run. Really, the earthquake, sm- very small, and it was not induced by Marshawn. It was induced by the 12th man crowd um, that was there uh, in Seattle that day. But take a listen. This, to me, still to this day, greatest run I have ever seen, ever. Crowd silent now, as opposed to when the Saints have the ball. Oh, look at this run. What a run. Marshawn Lynch. Still on his feet. Has blockers now. He's dancing his way for the touchdown. Uh, That's as good an effort as I've ever seen in my life from a running back who they traded for from Buffalo. Downhill, physical, and down the field, you're going to see Matt Hasselbeck and the whole offensive line. Watch him cut it back, and you're going to see all kinds of people sprinting down the field to help him. He breaks the tackle of Shanley, runs through Sharper, runs through Adell, runs through Jabari Greer. Get off me, he says to Tracy Porter. Look, oh yeah, my- it was just ridiculous. I'm, Of course, everybody remembers that. And then who could forget the time Marshawn Lynch just a few weeks ago was on Peyton's places. He's just a character, everything he has to say. You know, we all remember the time he showed up uh, for Super Bowl media day and he said, I'm just here because I didn't, I don't want to get fined. Just a classic. And that run really supplanted his name. He was a young kid, was on the bills, got traded over to Seattle and just had an unbelievable, uh, you know, career. And that run was just one of the best. Okay. Um, Oh, and in that in that clip, that was when the Seahawks went seven and nine, won the division, and then beat the Saints forty-one to thirty-six because they had that home playoff game. So guess what? Washington, they are seven and nine, won the division this year, first time since that two thousand ten Seahawks team to go seven and nine and win the division. Well, they get Tom Brady and Co. at home with no fans, so there's really no home field advantage. And I, like I said, expect this to be a blowout tomorrow night. Uh, What do we have on this weekend? Real quick, before I let you go, wild card weekend. We've got tonight, we've got a big matchup between the Ball brothers, Charlotte versus New Orleans, Lonzo Ball, number two overall pick versus his brother, uh, LaMelo Ball, the number three overall pick. Um, I think New Orleans will win that game. You've got wild card weekend. So three games tomorrow, three games on Sunday. Starting tomorrow, you've got the Bills hosting the Colts, the Seahawks hosting the Rams, the Washington football team or Redskins 
hosting the Buccaneers. Those games start at 1 o'clock, 4, 4.40, and 8.15. Give me the Bills. Give me the Seahawks. Give me Wash, uh, Give me the, the Bucks. I'm taking two home teams and a road team in the Bucks here. And um, keep an eye on Josh, uh, uh, Jared Goff, excuse me. Um, keep an eye on that. He's got an injured thumb, didn't play last week. If Jared Goff does not play, this line is going to change drastically. And the Seahawks are already, the line is about three. I don't see any reason not to jump on this line right now. Yes, Aaron Donald and co. have one of I have a top five defense, but I think the Seahawks at home are going to be good enough to win this game. And I'm really, I, I'm, I'm a believer that if Jared Goff starts this game, he will not finish the game because I think the thumb is going to be a problem. So I would go with the Seahawks there. And then, of course, obviously I'm taking the Bucks. Then on Sunday, you have the Titans and Ravens. That game's at one o'clock. I'm jumping all over the Ravens as the road team. They don't forget they're the hottest team in football right now. Uh, you know, them and the Bucks are really the two hottest teams, in my opinion. And they're not going to forget what the, what the Titans did to them in the playoffs last year. And the whole talk about how Lamar Jackson can't win a big game. They're going to whoop the Titans and send them packing. You've got the Saints hosting the Bears. This is a big spread. Um, the only thing I'd be, I'd be interested in, intrigued by taking is maybe the under, because the Bears do have a good defense and this could get sloppy. Um, and then you got the Steelers hosting the Browns. Right now, Steelers minus six is looking juicy because we know seven, Kevin Stefanski's out and a whole bunch of Browns players as well. But keep an eye on the Bills because they might be without Cole Beasley and another wide receiver because uh, they might have gotten COVID or come in contact. So a lot of things to think about, a lot of things to look into. And I just want to end the show by saying um, I've been watching a lot of TV lately. There's a lot of good stuff on um, net between Netflix and Cobra Kai, which has been excellent. I binged that really fast. There's a new show on um, CBS All Access, if you have that or can get a, get a website and stream it, called Coyote with Michael Chiklis. There's six episodes. I binged three of them yesterday. That's phenomenal. Um, you, you've got shows on HBO Max right now. I thought it was hysterical, this reality show called House of Ho about this, um, fam this guy named Bin Ho and his family, they're mega, you know, millionaires, and it's just about their their family life. I think it's so funny. They're so Americanized and whatnot. Um, you have Flight Attendant, The Undoing. There, I mean, there's so many shows that are coming out that are out that, you know, there's a lot to do while we're in quarantine. And then reading as well. I'm, I'm reading a book that I'm hoping to finish this weekend. I've been dragging my feet with it. It will be getting turned into a, uh, a movie, I think, in like August called The uh, Reincarnationist Papers. It will be starring Mark Wahlberg. It doesn't have that same exact name, but I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, a lot going on this weekend. Enjoy your sports. I'm going to stop it here. This one ran as long as they've run in a while, um, but I hope you enjoyed it. Packed in a lot to this episode. Um, so yeah, with that being said, good luck with your bets. Good luck for your, you know, anybody's team's that are out there in the playoffs right now. I'm rooting for the Bills in the AFC right now, and I am rooting for, obviously, my Tampa Bay Bucks to go all the way. I will see you guys next week. National Championship will be Monday night between Bama and Ohio State. So good luck to everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, um, and that's all I've got for you. I am the Pody. This is episode 126, and I am signing off.